let's do a simple thought experiment. Let's say it's Monday morning and you're back on the job after a good, relaxing weekend. You're on your first coffee break, or uh, hmm, let's see, I guess these days we better assume you're doing all of this by way of Zoom meetings. <laughs> but for the sake of the illustration, let's assume that everything is back to normal and our church services are fully in person. Okay, you're engaging in some small talk with a work colleague who's also a Christian and attends the church across town. She says to you, so how was church yesterday? And you reply, it was great. How about yours? To which she replies, oh, really good. The worship was awesome. Okay, stop. Now, what did your friend's words mean when she said the worship was awesome? Did she mean that everyone in attendance gave themselves fully to the Lord? Did she perhaps mean that the word was preached with accuracy and in power? Well, you and I both know that most likely what she meant was something like this. The songs we sang were powerful. The praise band played amazingly, and everyone sang with gusto. Winston Churchill once said, We shape our buildings, thereafter they shape us. In other words, our architecture is not neutral. If we choose to build a home that is warm and inviting, it will tend to encourage warm and inviting interactions. If we build a sterile and austere edifice, we'll tend to live in that house in ways that are less than inviting. Now, I'm a firm believer in the thought that something similar happens with our language, the words we choose, the words we use in our everyday conversations. Once we begin to use a word in a certain way, that tends to shape our very thinking about the idea. So, back to our friend's comment that the Worship Sunday was awesome. Over the past few years, I dare say that most of us have come to hear that word worship as synonymous with music, or perhaps with music, video clips, and any other emotive element of the service. Stop and recall recent conversations you may have had along these lines, and my suspicion is that you'll agree. But so what, you ask? What's the big deal? Well, just this, I think, that subtly and perhaps unintentionally, we've begun to allow some faulty thinking to slip into our understanding of the Christian life. For one thing, we've allowed what I call the emotive elements of a church service to take on a role that is far bigger than what they may deserve. And secondly, we've fallen into the trap, and it's not a new one, of thinking that what we do for an hour or so on Sunday morning constitutes our life of worship. Over the next few weeks on this podcast, my hope is that we can take a look at what we do on Sunday mornings and try to understand why it is we do it. But to conclude this first podcast, let me venture a couple of thoughts on what I've described as the first error in our thinking, that we've allowed the emotive elements of our church services too much privilege. So what do I mean by an emotive element? Well, first of all, let's get one thing straight. I'm not suggesting that our church services should be free of emotion. Far from it. The role of emotion in worship is a separate topic, and it's a big one. But let me assure you that while we Christians may have differing emotional thermostats, emotion in worship is valid, and I would even argue it's essential. No, what I have in mind is an undue elevation of the emotional component in worship. It's what author Calvin Johansson means when he says, quote, 
The feeling we get through this music becomes the focus. Brought about by our self-concerned culture, worshipers immerse themselves in the experiential and the affective, believing that church music has failed unless melodramatic hype is present to stimulate and arouse. Rather than allow feeling to be a result, we have made it music's chief purpose. Rather than a consequent, it has become an antecedent. The centrality of musical emotionalism has become so pervasive that we seldom challenge its domination. End of quote. So, I would add, if we aren't careful, we can ascribe to music a power that is reserved for the Spirit himself, the ability to usher us into the presence of God. One more caveat before we conclude. While I think this tendency may be present more often in so-called contemporary musical expressions, I do believe it can happen with more traditional, classical styles as well. The outcomes may feel different, but at the root of both is the distortion of legitimate emotional responses into misshapen and hyped emotionalism. In future podcasts, we'll take a look at various elements in our worship services and try to understand the role of each. I'm Greg Wheatley, and this has been The Day After Sunday.